I guess that means we're ready. Better leave that alone. It's going to make noise. A couple of things I noticed when I came in. One, this little lectern was way, way short. And I thought, well, either Scott's got a lot better eyes than I do, or he can bend over better than I can, or his glasses are better. But uh, I was disappointed. I went to the optometrist here a while back, and he kind of fixed me up some stuff so I could see off out there. And then he told me and he promised me that I could see through those bifocals and I can't. So I get my Walmarts out and then we go from there. That's kind of what happens. And it's sometime in my life I didn't have quite that many problems. Chapter 18 of Luke where we're going to be this morning. If you'd like to turn there, to, it's not going to, we're not going to stay there long, but that's where we're going to begin with our thoughts. We've been having a number of lessons on Wednesday night down at Draper. Well, come on in. How y'all? We've been having a number of lessons down at Grayford about worship, and we've studied a little bit about singing and what our singing does for us in our worship service. Talked about the Lord's Supper, but one of our sessions has been on prayer. Prayer is a very special thing. We need to understand it for all that it is and all that God has given us in affording us the right and the privilege to come before Him in prayer. We started our class this morning with prayer. It's not that we question what prayer does. Not that we question how we pray or whatever else goes along with some of our concerns about prayer. But it is to come with a greater respect to the one to whom we pray. And the knowledge of what He allows us to come to Him with and the way in which He deals with us through prayer. When we read this passage of Scripture in Luke the 18th chapter, uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a place to begin. It talks about Jesus coming to the people and giving them a parable. And the reason that He gives us is in verse one. He says, "So that man can understand that they ought always to pray." But then after he says that, it gets a little muddled in a way, I think, and sometimes the way in which the world interprets that. And so he gives them this parable. Now, now pay it, keep up with me. I'm, I'm going to kind of run you ragged here for just a minute in your thinking process. There was a certain city, there, in a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Write that down in your brain for just a minute. We're talking about a judge here that Jesus is describing that says was not a, a man that feared God and didn't regard man. But also in that same city there was a widow. And she had to come to this judge because he was the one that was to relieve her of whatever it was that was her problem. And she asked him to avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, but because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. The Lord said here what the unjust judge said, And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, 
though he bears along with them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith in this earth? Boy, I'll tell you what, that thing's packed with lots of questions. Jesus makes some very emphatic statements about this judge and describes him in very unbecoming terms. The judge himself even realizes who he is because he says to this woman, look, I don't fear God. I don't regard man. I really don't care whether you get avenged of your adversary or not. The only thing I'm going to try to do is protect my own sanity and I'm going to grant you what you want. And you've come to me and come to me and come to me. So I'm going to grant you what you want. So that you'll quit bothering me. My question this morning is, is that the way we pray to God? I'm going to badger God and badger God and badger God and I'm going to come to... See, this man, this judge, is not the example of God. He is the example of what continual prayer can accomplish. There's an idea in the world, I think, and, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm naive, maybe I've grown up in a kind of a sheltered spiritual world, I don't know. But I have never regarded God as as one that we have to badger in our prayers. I don't have that idea about the attitude that God has toward us. Philippians 4 and verse 6 tells us that we are to cast aside the cares that we have and to come before God with our request so that in His time and in His way He can answer those prayers and give us the peace that comes from the answer. Let your request be made known unto God and the peace that passes all understanding will be yours in Christ Jesus. Also, you got to figure out in Matthew the 7th chapter and verse 10, when Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things he says to the people is, when you come before God, understand his attitude toward you. When you come seeking from him those things which you see uh, that you need to be praying about, understand how you treat your own children. Hopefully, how you treat your own children. He said, if your son comes and asks you a fish, are you going to give him a stone? Here, son, gnaw on this rock. Or if he asks a fish, will you give him a serpent? And here's the analogy that is made when Jesus speaks this on the mount. He said, if you who are imperfect people, and you who are driven by Things that God is not driven by. If you are able to see the needs of your children when they come and they ask of you those things which they need, and you're willing to do what you can to answer their needs and to do for them what needs to be done, how much more then will God, who is a greater giver than all of us, who is wiser than us, who is more capable than us, 
If you can know how to do that, don't you think God knows even better how to give to those who come and ask of Him the things that they need? So the analogy that the world might look at this thing and say, well, this widow was persistent in praying to this, or I guess praying in a way she was pleading with this judge, avenge me of my adversary. Now to some selfish motivation, I suppose, this judge finally said to her, okay, 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 you're just bugging me to death. It's all this, this. If, if we look at God and, and we come like, man, we've got to, We've got to come and we've got to beat his door down every day. The way in which we come to God is, is a prayer of faith. It's a prayer in believing that his answer is right. I had a lady ask me one time, <clears throat> and I, I've used this a number of times because it really impressed me the question that she asked. She said, what is the, the best attitude that we can have in coming before God in prayer? And I didn't really know how to answer that. I kind of asked her, I said, well, how do you feel about coming before God? She says, well, I, it's, it's the only course that, that we can take as people. It's the only thing that we have, really, is our faith. That, and that's what Jesus said in the end of this. And I'll, I'll skip on down because we're going to go somewhere else in a minute. He was saying to these people, he said, I hope at some point in time your faith is going to dictate to you to continue to pray believing that God is going to hear what you have to say, and we're going to talk about some of those things in just a moment. But the only thing I could think to tell this lady was this. You know, in our prayers, we need to believe that God can do anything. Can do anything. Doesn't mean He won't do everything that we ask, not in our time. He will in His. But the fact of it is that when we come to God in prayer, the kind of faith He wants us to have is an undoubting faith. A faith that says, you have more wisdom than I have, you have more spirit than I have, you have more love than I have, you have more knowledge than I have. I'm bringing this to you because I believe that you can do anything. I'm going to talk about that in just a second too. But we need not to come to God believing that He is on our list to just tell Him what to do and, and give Him our request and then exact from Him the answer that we want. We have to come in faith. And when we get into this a little bit later, I think it will kind of be self-explanatory. So I told her, I said, we need to come to God believing that He can do anything and that He will do what His will dictates in our lives to do. And not to be too simple about that, but that takes faith. That takes faith coming to God and saying, here's what I'd like to ask. I have to make an admission, and I'm always making admissions, and I get tired of confessing things, Dale, I really do. You know, just I have to come to God from time to time and apologize that I have been so impatient waiting for some answer from you. I find myself more often apologizing because I have requested something of God and He didn't just jump right to it and answer it in my time and in my own mind frame. And then somewhere down the road, 
that prayer would be apparent that was being answered, yes or no or whatever. And the thing I'd have to come back and tell God was, I knew this was the way it was going to be. I knew you were going to answer my prayer, so I, I apologize. And I keep thinking, Larry, why can't you have the same faith going into that prayer as you had when God gave the answer when it came to the answer? Why can't, Larry, why can't you do that? Well, I don't know. Sometimes it's easier to apologize than it is to have the kind of faith that brings us into the, the presence of God in prayer the way that we should anyway. Before we leave this, understand that, that Jesus is not telling this parable about this unjust man to indicate to us that God is like this judge. He's not. God is altogether different. But what he is saying to these people is that if prayer and the persistence of prayer can change the mind of this hard-hearted, God-hating, God-not-fearing, not-regarding-man judge, this, this man who, whose heart is, is not anything like God's, if her prayer to him or her petition to him can change him, uh, what do you think about your prayer before loving God? Uh, there's power in prayer. A lot of power in prayer. Well, I think we need to look at maybe not to be too philosophical this morning, I guess, but I think all of us put prayer in in about three different categories, and, and you've probably heard these lessons before and even thought about it before. But maybe we can put just a little bit of a different slant on it this morning to talk about the blessing of slow prayer, uh, the blessing of no prayer, and the blessing of yes prayer. I'd like to begin talking about Job just a little bit and the idea of the, the eventual answer of prayer. Job was in good shape. Things were good for Job. And whenever the devil came and required of God to, to let him test Job, God said, I have faith in Job. I don't know whether I've told you this before, but one of the things that strikes me funny is that we're always talking about the kind of faith that we need to have in God. I think it's also possible that we need to be the kind of people that God can have faith in, just like he had in Job. And he said, I'll tell you what, if there's a person in this world that I can tell you will not go away from me, whose faith will not fail, it'll be Job. And I wonder sometimes, I'm a, I'm a bad, I'm bad about this. <clears throat> We're going to talk about it a little bit in the in the lesson after we get through eating, but uh, I wish I knew some of the end results of some of the things that, that went on. I'd kind of like to know when Job finally went home when all of this was over, and he looked at his wife and said, well, what do you think now? Or she may have looked at him and said, boy, I would have never thought it turned out this way. I don't know what kind of conversation took place, but I'm always interested in, in what happened. I'm interested in the guy in the cemetery when Jesus told him, you go back to town and you tell him what Jesus has done for you. I'd like to hear some of those stories, wouldn't you?
I'd like to heard what he said. There's a lot of the, the rest of the stories I'd like to hear. And I guess someday uh, the, the knowledge of God will come to let us know that. But don't you know that Job, in, in the time that he spent on that garbage heap, not so much that he questions his faith, it's just that he was searching for a place to make sure that it wouldn't fail. We've been told before that the story of Job is the story of patience. I think it's the story of trust and faith as much as anything. I want you to turn back to Job for just a minute. I want you to relate a few of the things that he says. First one's going to be in, uh, in chapter uh, 21. Get over to Job. We can't go into everything, I don't think, that, that deals with Job here this morning. But we need to suffice it to say that in Job's trial and in Job's testing here, one of the things that becomes apparent with him is that he is convinced that what is happening to him is not of something evil that he's done. I think Job sees it as a proving ground, a time in which he must put his money where his mouth is, I guess, in, in, in those terms. And whatever he has promised to God and whatever he has given to God in his life, he's not going to go back on the faith that he has. We could relate all the loss that he had. We could relate all the things that his friends say to him. There's a lot of times when they come to him and say, look, you've got to admit that you're a sinful man for some reason because God has done this to you. And Job keeps saying, I, I didn't do anything. The only thing I know is that through all of this, I cannot act like those that are around me. <clears throat> and he describes in chapter 21, beginning in about verse 14. Well, he, he could go all the way up. If you go home sometime, uh, read that 21st chapter of Job and, and understand part of what he's saying. The, the main part of it, he gets down here... Uh, and he talks about how sometimes just life goes on and everything works out good. I thought it was interesting. Uh, in verse 9 he said, Their houses are safe from fear, neither is the rod of God upon them. Their bull breeds without failure, their cows calve without miscarriage. They send forth their little ones like a flock, and their children dance. They sing to the tambourine and the harp, rejoice the sound of the flute. They spend their days in wealth, and in a moment go down to the grave. Yet, yet, here's this word, yet they say to God, Depart from us, for we do not desire the knowledge of your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve Him? And what profit do we have if we pray to Him? Indeed, their prosperity is not in their hand. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. He says to them, don't let someone call or come to me and try to convince me of something that, uh, that I don't believe. It is not that these evil people attribute their goodness and, and everything that's good in their lives to God because they say to God, prayer doesn't accomplish anything. <clears throat> prayer doesn't matter uh, at all because we're blessed. And part of the reason for prayer is not so that we can be blessed more than others, but that we can appreciate the source of our blessings. That we might know where the blessing comes from. There is a world 
that is in the constant process of, of removing God from all thought process. Uh, we've had a battle not too long ago, and I don't know exactly how it's all turning out. I try to keep up with some of this stuff, but the more you keep up with all the changes that are going on and with all the political wrangling and all, it just absolutely nearly drives you nuts because of stuff that's going on. Uh, I think at some point in time we're going to battle uh, about prayer and legislature, prayer and assemblies of our politicians. We're going to have some discussions about whether the taking God we trust off of our money and all that kind of stuff. I know there's, there's efforts all the time to do these kind of things. And it's hard for me to understand, just as Job describes these people. He said, why would anyone, when they are blessed and their lives are in, in what they consider a, a good place to be, why would they not attribute that to God's blessing? Why would we not look in this nation and, and say to ourselves, this has been a nation that has really been blessed by God? And then you, you tend to see people who say, oh, that's just like Job talked about these people. Ah, it's not because of God I receive these things. So they, they say, well, we're not going to pray to him because really don't think it does any good. What they're trying to convince Job of, and I guess the reason that all this is said, is that there are those who continue to come to Job and say to him, all this praying and all this stuff you've done and all this faith that you've got, What's it done for you now? Look at yourself, Job. You've got balls on your body. And as unseeming as it seems to think about it, he said, You've got they said, You've got dogs licking on your sores. You're sitting on a garbage heap. You're scratching yourself where you itch with pieces of pottery that has been broken because people have thrown out their refuse out on this garbage heap and, and here you sit in all this stench and all this nastiness and your kids are gone your wife has come out and told you that she does not agree with what you're doing your home is in shambles what good has prayer done you what good has prayer done you this faith that you've got in God what's it doing One simple answer I think Job could make. It is so that I can maintain my faith until my prayers are answered. You know, it's, it's the through in our lives. Sometimes it is the hardest part. Going through from point A to point B. Just getting through something. Job is looking to get past whatever's happened to him. He's, he's looking to get through this valley that he's in. And it's going to take some time. Now, a while ago I told you that poor old Larry lots of times has to apologize because when he comes to the point at which he realizes that God has actually given him the best answer in his life and whatever time that took, he finally turned around and come back and say, I'm sorry that I doubted 
when I first offered you this prayer. I'm sorry because now I see your wisdom and what you have said and what you have done. Now, Job, it took some time. I I don't know. I wish to, sometimes that we would know the amount of time that he sat on that garbage heap. I have no earthly idea. One day would have been too much. Could have been six months. Could have been three months. Could have been a year. I don't have any idea. And I don't have any idea whenever we offer our prayers before God what his time frame is to hear what we have to say. I don't know the time frame of this widow that came to this judge. I don't know God's time frame. But in chapter 42 of Job, just about the time all of this is, is coming to a head. Job does the same thing I think all of us tend to do from time to time and come back and said, I knew that you were going to be there at the end of all of this. Chapter 42, Job answered the Lord, verse 1, and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. There's nobody any more powerful. You are the last word. You ask, who is he who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, and now my eyes you. Therefore I bore myself and repent dust and ashes. What he's saying is God I'm sorry I doubted you. I'm sorry whenever all of this began to, to, to come on me that I had any kind of doubt or fear. But the reality of it is, is we are human beings. And we cannot as much as we would like to keep from being fearful and keep from worrying and keep from fretting and keep from doing all the things that we do over the things of life. We can't keep our emotions from overcoming us. Sometimes we can't keep the, uh, the unsureness of life at bay. It tends to rear its ugly head and sometimes even gets bigger than us. We feel a lot sometimes like Job said here, he's yeah, I've, I had the same fears. I, Even out of my faith. I don't know whether you've ever tried to describe faith. I, I have, and, and I don't know that this is a very good definition, but I'm going to give you the best of what I can think of to describe what faith is. Faith is kind of like a peach. Uh, you know that a peach has a... a skin and then below the skin of course is the meat of the peach and then of course inside of that is that hard seed that's there well it describes for us I think in looking at this peach the idea that we go through life and we get nicked just like the skin of that peach gets nicked or it gets stung or whatever else it might be and it kind of tends to make people think that, well, that's not a good peach because it's got a nick in the skin. It's not perfect. It's not perfect. Well, let me give you a newsflash. Life isn't perfect. 
Never have been, never will be. It's kind of like that peace our faith is. It gets those nicks from time to time. You ever had your faith nicked a little bit? Yeah, okay. This is yes and this is no. Yes, yes, we have. Our our faith gets nicked, doesn't it? We've been through the worst agriculture year daily that I've seen in a long, long time. And my family has watched me get my head under my wing and oh, look at stuff. You know how it is. And then sometimes that flesh gets pretty damaged too. It gets a little bit deeper into us and we really get tested. It's not just those little nicks that come along. Something bigger comes along and it really tests us. And we have to kind of figure out, well now, what are we going to do now? Well, we're going to go to that core faith that is that hard, impenetrable, almost impenetrable seed that's inside the peach. I've never seen anything as hard as a peach seed. Have you? If you had a slingshot big enough, you could kill an elephant with a peach seed. That's what our faith finally comes down to. We survive the nicks, we survive the bruises, we survive the other stuff that cuts at the meat of who we are, and we finally reach that point that Job did that we call upon that hard seed of faith, and before long, the remedy is there. We find the answer. We find where God's been taking us. We find where we need to be. We've got to move on or we're not going to get finished but all of this becomes important when we consider Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now unto him who is able to do what? Remember that passage of scripture? Boy, write that down on your refrigerator if you're going to write anything down in this world. There's a lot of things you can and that's fine. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. To him be the glory of God Christ. Whew. That's pretty strong, isn't it? That's that peach seed right in the middle of that faith. So when Job says this, he said, you know, I've spoken some things I shouldn't have said. I've had some doubts I shouldn't have had, and I've had all these things coming at me and going at me. I've had these friends come. I've had all this sickness and all the stuff that's going on in my life. I've been bruised. I've been battered. And the meat of my peach is just about eaten completely up. And then he gets down to that hard seed in the middle and he says, this is where I'll take my stand. This is where God begins to bring him back where he needs to be. Patience with God in his answer to our prayer. So the blessing of slow prayer is that what we do is we finally figure out that sure enough, God has been there all along. Just like he was with Job. Then there's the answer of no to us sometimes in our prayers. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 9, Paul is asking for <clears throat> this thorn in the flesh to be removed from him. I want us to be patient for just a moment with Paul when he goes to doing all of this because I don't think he says anything other than what we've said a thousand times. And here's what I think he was saying in what he said. He was asking God to remove this thorn in the flesh, whatever it was. And there's a lot of speculation on that. I understand all that. We're not going into that. What it was is not as important as what it was doing to Paul. 
And he was saying, you know what? If I had this thorn out of my flesh, look how effective I could be as a minister of the gospel. Look how effective I could be as a Christian. Look how much better I could live my life. Look how much better I could be if you just take this thorn away. Man, I could get on fire. I could go out there and I could tell these people about all this stuff that you're doing. And man, if I just didn't have this holding me back, I could really, really, really get to going. And God says the danger in that, Paul, is that when you go out there, you're going to think that everything you're doing is because you have the power within yourself to do it. And you're going to begin to believe that that all of your success is bound up in who you are. And every blessing of your life is because you have precipitated that and because you have started it and finished it. And he said, the reason I'm going to tell you no is because I have a greater purpose for what you're going to do. If, if, we were to read that 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, and it said in there, and God answered his prayer and removed his thorn in the flesh, and Paul went on to be a great minister of the gospel. You know the first thing we'd do today? We'd come to God and say, well, you did it for Paul. Why aren't you doing it for me? And we began to think that God is unfair. That God is not competent. That God is not capable in His power and in His wisdom to be the one that we come to with all the things of our lives. When we look at Paul and we begin to understand that the reason that God told him no is because it was going to make him better, not worse. It was going to give him a dependence upon God that he might have never had and a dependence upon God that we might have never had if we had looked at Paul and said, well, God just took care of him and removed that thorn and why isn't he doing the same thing for me? Paul is our great example not because the thorn was removed. He is our great example because the thorn stayed. And when we think about what Paul accomplished and what he was able to do and the faith that it brought forth in him, at some point in time, I think a lot like Job maybe he said, I'm sure I'm glad you didn't remove that thorn. It's made me a whole lot better than what I could have been otherwise. Did you ever consider the fact that God told Jesus no? Remember the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. I don't know how far we could go into the discussion of of the prayer that Jesus offered to God, what Jesus was thinking, what he was feeling. I can imagine what he was feeling. If you and I were facing what Jesus was about to face and, and realizing that what I'm about to do is probably going to be misunderstood by a lot of people and and uh, I've just tried to do those things which are good and now these people want to put me on the cross and it's going to hurt and my spirit's going to be separated from you. I... I 
Jesus knew all this and what was going to happen, and he was just asking God, is there any other way that you can accomplish your will and kind of let me off the hook on this? And very emphatically, God said, no, I can't. Though you are my son, and though I love you so much, there's a greater good that's going to come from what you're doing. You need to do this. It is my will that you do this. And you need to understand that there's so much good is going to come from what you're about to do that I have to tell you no. You need to go to the cross. Uh -oh, was that over? Whew, better hurry. So if if for some good reason God told his own son no, why do we get our hackles up when God tells us no? We have to understand that God has a will that he needs to get accomplished. And, and maybe sometimes those no answers to our prayers allow us to, to grow and allow to be a, us to be a better example for others. Aren't we thankful that God exacted upon Jesus what he exacted upon him and that Jesus finally stood up and said, your will be done? I think that's important. Lastly, the yes answer, the blessing of yes. And the only thing I've got to tell you right quick is to think about what Jesus prayed as he stood at the grave of Lazarus. Now this was a guy that he loved and Lazarus had died and his sisters were upset and they were even upset with Jesus. Why didn't you come and he wouldn't have died? There's lots of stories connected with that. But the prayer that Jesus offers as he stands at the, at the graveside of Lazarus, he said, Lord, I know you can, just like Job said, I know you can do this. What I'm asking is that you answer this prayer in front of all of these people so that they can see your power and know who you are. And I don't know what happened. I think it's verse 21 and 22 when you get down in that time frame right there. From the time that Jesus asked this prayer, let Lazarus be healed, let him come back to life. Between that verse and the next verse, I don't know how much time elapsed. But as soon as Jesus got through praying that prayer, Lazarus appeared at the door of the tomb. And it was an answer immediately to a prayer because God saw the need to answer it immediately. Pick him up and say, here's the answer to your prayer. There stands Lazarus. And when he recognized that God had answered his prayer and knew that Lazarus was alive, the point was all these people knew that Lazarus had been dead for four days. Now, if he'd just been asleep, no big deal. He just They just made a mistake and put him in there and wrapped him up and he woke up while he was going. He, no, four days dead. He comes to, you guys go unwrapping. Not me. Not me. How would you like to have been the one Jesus turned to and said, go take that stuff off of him. That's Lazarus. I preached a sermon one time on when Lazarus came out of the grave, he didn't stink. I, that's, that's a strange deal, but you'll have to think about it a little bit to understand that. But when Lazarus came out of the, out of the tomb, he didn't stink. 
there was no death in him. It's that same cleansing that comes from our obedience to God through Christ. The drudgery of our lives and, and everything that's there that stinks in us whenever we are rejuvenated by baptism into Christ, uh, we become clean. And we stay clean through our fellowship, as John says, with Christ. So Lazarus didn't stink when he came forth. Then that's a whole different lesson. Point of it is, Jesus answered, or God answered Jesus' prayer because it was something that needed to be done at that time. And I want you to challenge yourself to understand that you and I get a lot of yes answers, don't we? I think we do. Every prayer that we offer needs to be in the faith that says to God, here's my request. It's fine with me if you take a while. I want to be patient and trusting while I'm waiting for the answer. I want to call on that hard seed of faith to, to get me through this. If you want to tell me no, give me the faith and the trust to believe that why the reason you've told me no is it because you have a greater purpose for something that's going to happen in my life. But I want to sit down here and thank you, Lord, because you say yes so many times. All the time when I come to you in prayer that you are willing to hear what I say. And you're willing to take my request and give me the peace that knows Whatever answer I get is going to be the right one. God has never given an answer to anybody that turned out to be wrong. And uh, it just amazes me. Uh, there it is. I knew we was going to get there. It amazes me uh, that I have known people in my life that embodied this attitude and I have looked at them and thought, boy... <laughs> Maybe someday that can be me. But when we pray, let's be careful that we understand that God's will is what we're after and that He is not out there somewhere not listening. He is always listening to what we say. Maybe yes, maybe no, maybe later, but God hears us. Let's be thankful for that, okay? All right, any thoughts or questions? Coming? Now I'm going to push this button again. Same middle button.